There's a lot of things going on. This is a very zany kind of game. It's ahead of its time. It's really clever what they've done. It's tense, but it's very brain melty. It's kind of a mix of everything I love in trick taking. Hey everyone, welcome to Trick Talkers, your favorite podcast about trick takers, shedders, climbers, and other card games. I'm Johnny. I'm Ryan. I'm Patrick. All right, tonight we have a very special episode for everyone. We're going to be talking about games you can play with a standard deck of cards, aka a French deck. So check your cabinets, those desk drawers, wherever it might be for that dusty old playing card deck that you have and shuffle it up and get ready to learn some new games. So the first game that we played to prepare for this was 99. And actually, I hadn't played 99 before. You guys both had, right? Yes. Yeah, I've played 99. Um, yeah, I played it one time before. Played it on the train, actually. You want to just give uh, like a, a quick overview of what the game is about? Okay, so briefly then, 99. Um, you're going to be bidding on um, how many tricks you're going to take. And the idea is to hit your bid. Um, and you actually use the cards in the game to... Um, and there are some variants in the rules, but the, the design is the favorite way to play anyway. Um, you actually use the cards to make your bid. So, for example, I think uh, club is a free, uh, hearts two, spades is one, and um, diamonds is zero. So you select some of your cards, uh, free cards, and you'll look at uh, the suits of the cards, and you'll use that to... There is a little cheat sheet that you can show your players. You'll use that to form your bid. Um, you can also, if you're feeling daring, uh, reveal your hand. Um, well, I think you play with the ha all of the hand face up. Um, and you can also turn your bid cards up as well, where you show to other people what you're, what you're aiming to bid. Um, so really, really exciting. A lot of tension. We played this, um, on a train. Um, and it kind of, for me... I don't want to say it gave me the feeling of hearts, but I think the tension of hearts was there and it was immediately requested again after playing it with these three people. We sort of had back-to-back -back games of it. Um, so hopefully I haven't done a terrible job of explaining the rules of, <laughs> uh, of 99. I've just given you a brief overview. And there are additional bonuses that you can get in the game. As I mentioned earlier, if you, you know, reveal your cards, you reveal your bid, but everybody's got something to aim for. Um, and there is also, there. I should point out, there is a trump suit as well. Yeah, so basically you're using the bidding cards um, to say what you're trying to bid, but also late in later subsequent rounds, um, they're used to determine what trump is um, during the game as well, which um, keeps uh, the tension on for all the players. Isn't trump dependent on how many players hit their bid. So I think if, if nobody hits their bid, uh, then on the subsequent round, diamonds becomes Trump. And, and it's based on... Yes, the, you're correct. The, yeah, it's based, yes. On, it's based on the value of that suit for your bidding. So uh, if nobody hits it, it's diamonds. If one person hits it, it's spades. Two if you all hit is it, hearts. It's and if everybody hits it, it's clubs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so basically you're using the bids to not only determine what car, um, how many tricks you're going to take, but you're also using them to determine trump suits for subsequent rounds after the first round, which um, makes it for really interesting play. Uh, yeah, I love this game. Uh, I've only played it twice now, uh, but this is probably one of my favorite 
standard deck games at this point, uh, even with that little amount of plays. The changing of trump, the way it, it does, the way you bid using the cards from your hand is always interesting. The one downside to that is because the suits are always tied to the number of bids you get for it. Like again, as we said, diamonds are zero. If you have a really bad hand, just like all the low cards in every suit, but you don't have any diamonds, you can't bid a low number of tricks. So you can get stuck from time to time with those hands. Um, but because the game plays on enough hands, and that's, I think, something we're probably going to say in a lot of these games, because I feel like that's <laughs> a common uh, thing that comes up in traditional uh, games, is you end up playing a lot of hands to help mitigate the bad hand luck. So that's why I'm mentioning it here, because I think this is another game that does that. While you can have a really bad hand and there's just no way you can bid what you want, you're going to probably play 10, 11, 12 other hands, and it's not that big a deal. Everybody's more than likely going to have that kind of hand throughout the game, and that's okay. And of course, there's the you know, revealing your bid or revealing your hand ones, which adds some more level of spice to it, which is great. So sometimes that's a fun way to do it. If you have a really bad hand, just throw that out there as well, because why not? <laughs> Yeah, and actually, one thing we didn't mention in the rules explanation is where the game gets its name, and it actually comes from those bonus points from revealing your bid and your hand. You get one point per trick, and there are nine tricks in a round. If you reveal your bid, but not your hand, and you hit your bid, you earn 30 bonus points. And if you reveal your hand, which includes also revealing your bid, you get 60 points for revealing your hand if you hit your bid, the 30 points for revealing your bid, and 9 points for winning every trick. So if you do all that in one round, that equals 99 points, hence the name 99. Yeah, and if you don't do it, to just to up the tension a little bit, um, those points go to your opponents. So um, obviously you've got to be quite confident that you're going to meet those uh, bonuses, Hope hopefully. I don't recall that aspect. How how do the points go to your opponents again? So there's an additional 30 bonus points of 30 uh, for declaring or 60 for revealing your entire hand. Um, if you're successful, they go they go to you. But if not, they go to each of the, your opponents. The the full amount or split? That, yes, that's what it says in the rules. Oh. Yeah. I don't know if Taylor taught us so, that way. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean... I think it to, was you just didn't. So if it. you reveal your hand mm -hmm. and your bid mm -hmm. and you don't hit it, your opponents each get 90 points. So it says uh, this goes to the declarer slash revealer if successful or to each opponent if not. Hmm. So that's we did in the not official play that rules. way. Yes. Um, that, to be fair, there are. It, this isn't a variant. This is the. In the in the actual rules, but there are some additional variants in the rules. And did you guys play with jokers? No, no. Taylor took okay. those out. Yeah, that's the author's preferred way, um, or David Parlett's preferred way mm. to to not use the jokers. So that that's um, and he it does explain that in the rules. But yeah, so I guess that would maybe would change the way you're thinking about um 
revealing those cards or um, revealing the bid cards when you when you play right if you know that you mm-hmm. your opponents might benefit from it. Otherwise. Well, now you need to cut out my last little bit I said there about just go bid. Why not? Because now it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So scratch that part from what I said. Maybe or put, just put this whole. Maybe I'll put the whole discussion in. Oh. Um, so I. I really like 99. I think that I have the same issue with it that you have, Ryan. Uh, it it can feel almost worse than other bidding games when you have a bad hand because you can't just bid zero. Um, if you like, you said if you don't have diamonds in your hand, so uh, you know that that was. It doesn't feel good when that happens, but like you said, you play enough hands that it. it usually balances out uh and it's also a fairly light game you know it's not a super strategic heavy game and i'm i'm okay with a little bit of variability and luck in games like this so while that may be a deal breaker for some people i still had a great time and i'm probably harsher than most on games that don't allow you to mitigate your luck very much uh you know barring the let's just keep playing more hands to mitigate the luck aspect uh, so I feel like if I'm okay with it and I still had a good time, I'm assuming most people that like this style of game will be okay with that as well. And another thing that I thought is pretty interesting with bidding in general is that it's all hidden bids. Unless, of course, somebody tries to get those additional 30 bonus points to reveal their bid. But most common trick-taking games that have bidding involved it's public bidding every other player knows the number of tricks you're going for so in this one when everyone's doing a hidden bid it's always fun to see when somebody takes one tricks two tricks three tricks you're like hmm are they going to keep going are they trying to stop now and like trying to deduce what other players are going for is an interesting part of this game as well because of course you still need to make sure you hit your own bid but you want to make sure that other people might miss uh, depending on how many tricks they've taken. If they're bidding one and they haven't taken any for a long time, you might start to realize they're tra- trying to take a low number. So how do you get them tricks? But have you gotten your own yet? So I think that's a fun little push and pull that this game has that you can explore as well. Yeah, just going to um, what Ryan was saying, actually, is when you're trying to work out, deduce what people are bidding, which I think is where a lot of the fun in this game is. When we say, I don't know if we mentioned it, um, that you know you can declare your hand or your bid. Only one person can do that. Um, so depending on whether sat at the table, so there's always in every game, you know, in every play you have of it, there's always going to be this this tension, which Ryan was talking about when you're trying to work out what's up. because even if you know one person, um, you know, the other two people at the table are still going to be the you know, or one person if you like relative to yourself is still going to be an unknown factor. Yeah, and if you've declared your intention to reveal only your bid, a subsequent player can actually trump that by saying, I'm going to reveal my hand and my bid. And then the the player who originally declared their intention to reveal their bid no longer gets to do it. So you can uh, kind of snag the potential bonus points away from somebody if they're too timid to reveal both their hand and their bid, which I think is a pretty fun aspect of the game. Yeah, and that's actually part of the game that I like as well. And those kind of games, the compendium games, as they're referred to, are a lot of fun. I've been exploring more of them uh, in the recent year or two. So I know we're going to probably talk about a couple here throughout the episode. But anytime there's 
uh, a game like this where you always get your regular hand, you make a bid, but then you have the ability to add additional things that you can reveal, whether it's your hand or your bid or certain cards for some games. You don't reveal all of them, whatever it might be. It adds an extra layer to the thought process. Because again, most bidding games, it's just look at your own hand, decide how many bids you're going to take, and that's it. That's your decision. But now there's sort of a player interaction of reading the table because the fact that you can reveal your bid or reveal your hand, if somebody passes, while that doesn't give you a lot of information about their hand, it gives you some information to know that they're not confident enough to reveal their bid or their hand. So they might have a so-so hand or not confident that they're going to hit their bid or want you to know what it is. So I think that element of deduction for a letter back of word, uh, lack of word is, is really interesting in these kind of games. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think I will say, though, that it's extremely difficult to reveal your hand and your bid and still meet your bid. So uh, while it it may seem like somebody's not very confident because they're only willing to reveal their bid, uh, I would say more often than not, uh, unless, I mean, unless your hand is just absolute garbage, uh, you're probably not revealing your hand. Or if it's kind of towards the end of the game where somebody's about to, to win the game, maybe you're just willing to go all out with a mediocre hand and just kind of uh, throw caution to the wind and if you if you make it great if not you were going to lose anyways so who cares <laughs> and I actually did that I actually did that in our game and uh, surprisingly came very close to hitting my my zero bid in one of those rounds uh, and you and I think Ryan uh, fell on the sword just to make it not happen for me <laughs> I did I did take one for the team <laughs> well, fittingly the scores go up to 100 don't they to win the game as well I mean so that's quite quite cool i mean you obviously do several hands but uh to get to get there um but uh, i believe that's yeah the... i think we played uh i think it's it's kind of like bottle imp in that there's uh at least w- at least when taylor was saying it didn't sound like there was a a defined number of points or rounds that it's more open to like decide how many rounds you want to play or how many points you want to play to and and do that and i think we chose to just play uh six rounds so twice around the table and that felt like a good length i think well, apparently, I just, I just read that uh, <laughs> that we talk about player counts, and obviously, this one's designed for free players. So the four-player version, you know, has the fifty-two card deck. But then I just read that the two and five-player version apparently exists, and they have a dummy hand and a five-hundred deck, respectively. So <laughs> maybe I'll just keep to uh, to free players for this one. I think. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, and as we'll as we'll talk about shortly here, I think there are so many good uh, four player games specifically, and then also some great two player games that uh, I think I'd re- I'd reserve ninety nine for three player situations because mm-hmm. uh, while I really really enjoyed it, uh, the next couple of games that we're going to talk about, I would enjoy I enjoy more, uh, and would probably almost always rather play for four players and two. Mm-hmm. That being said, do you, do you guys have anything else you want to say about 99, or should we just use that as our segue into the next couple of games? I think, yeah, use it as a segue. I, yeah, great, right. great little game. Yeah. yeah, highly recommend it. 
if you don't have a standard deck of cards, go buy one. No. <laughs> it was worth seeking out. Yeah. <laughs> Defeats the whole purpose of uh, games <laughs> you can play without spending additional money. Yeah. Um, so the next, uh, I'm going to say the next two we're going to talk about just because I, I feel like they, they're often mentioned together as kind of the two classic four-player standard deck card games that a lot of people grew up playing, and that's Spades and Hearts. I personally, I didn't grow up in a in a gaming family, so I didn't, when I say I grew up playing Hearts, this was the game that my dad knew. He taught it to us. We played every once in a while, but it's not like we played Hearts every weekend or anything like that. Um, but Hearts was the game of the two that I grew up playing, and I hadn't until last week even played Spades. Um, so now I've actually played both. I'm really excited to talk about both of these games because uh, they're not just two of my favorite standard deck games, but they may be just two of my favorite trick takers in general it's a bold statement <laughs> yes it is quite so you guys have both played both of these right arts page yes yes i've played um, them both same as you though i never actually well i guess for both of them i didn't grow up playing either of these i only played these within the past recent years hearts and spades i only played two weeks ago so excited yeah. to talk about them both because I, I do agree they are enjoyable. While they're not my favorite overall trick takers, they are <laughs> solid standard playing deck card trick takers. And there's a reason for that. Yeah, I, I and when I say they're 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 among my favorites. They're they're not my like number one and two games, um, but if I could if I had to go to a desert island with one game. I would take a standard deck of cards because I get two amazing games. Plus, oh, I mean, That's these two cheating. amazing games. That's I know, cheating. <laughs> I know it's cheating, but I guess my my point is is that in a standard deck of cards, you get two of the best games, four-player games, and many other games at various player counts that are also amazing. Um and so I think that's one of the things that makes these two games stand up so tall is that they're they're really old games, they're classic games, and they still hold up in 2022 i think that's pretty damn impressive so let's talk about hearts first um and the reason is i think we all have a little bit more experience with hearts um or at least experience dating back a little bit farther than our experience with spades uh so like i said i grew up playing hearts on occasion and i took a very long break from really gaming in general and i only recently played hearts again uh after you know, 20 odd years of having not played it. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I came into this from. And, and I kind of got back into trick taking via uh, what I keep calling the designer games. So I actually got back into trick taking with other games and then uh, kept hearing uh, Taylor actually talking about how great hearts still is in 2022. It's, you know, it's amazing. It still holds up. And I was like, all right, I got to, get this back out because it's been so many years since I've played hearts. I just want to find out if I feel the same way about it still. Uh, and I do. So for anybody that doesn't know how hearts plays, it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, I use the term standard a lot and I'm going to use it here. It kind of follows your standard trick taking formula, uh, which is why I think what I think makes it so strong. It is a must follow. There is no Trump suit. Hearts is a bit of a special suit. 
that cannot be played until it's been broken in the way that you break hearts is if you cannot follow the lead suit, then you can lead with hearts. Uh, you can play hearts and then it can be led by anybody once it's been broken. And the goal of the game is to have the least amount of points. And the way that you get points is when you win a trick, if for every heart that you collect, you get one point. For the queen of spades, you get 13 points. Uh, there are also plenty of variants that, that change these rules up slightly. Uh, but those are the, the basic rules. Uh, so if you collect all hearts, all 13 of them, and the queen of spades, instead of getting 26 points, all three of your opponents get 26 points. And the end game trigger for hearts is as soon as somebody breaks 100 or reaches 100 points, the, the game will end that round and whoever has the lowest number of points is the winner. So, and like I said, there are a, a bunch of variations where, you know, where jacks are worth points or negative points and I love so that forth, jack so. rule with the minus 10 for the jack. I believe that's what it is. Jack is of diamond. Minus 10, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's great. So I've uh, not played with any variants. I've only played the standard rules uh, every time I've played. And uh, I like it as is, but I've heard good things about the variants. So I've just seen something on BGG, actually. This probably sums it up for me. The sound effects from the late 1990s Microsoft Windows client are forever burnt in my brain. Um, and that probably sums up hearts for me. It's a game that I played a lot as a kid. Could never figure out why I couldn't beat the computer, um, you know, for a long time. Uh, <laughs> finally got there. Uh, I pre-skulking which was the game that got me into modern trick taking um this was probably my gateway so i just found it fascinating to read about all the different variants that were out there for it and sort of how you take a game in its purest form which hearts is a fantastic game in its purest form but then add these little tweaks in and experiment with it and say oh did you know there's this you know jack of 10 rule etc so it's a game that i go back to um dr drinking uh can be hilarious as well alongside hearts not that i'm encouraging alcohol um you know uh, orange juice and all but uh, there we go uh but it's it, it is great fun and it's fun to see that person taking the queen of spades as you sort of fish her out um and taking those negative points i've also read there is a chinese variant of hearts actually um called i'm probably pronouncing it wrong gong shu and uh <laughs> according to that rule it is popular um and it says uh the loser of the game is known as the pig and may be required to grovel under the table as a penalty so just a, <laughs> a, a snippet of information for you for those who are already very familiar with the um the western version of hearts um but in a nutshell i really like it uh, very fun and I'm a huge fan of trick avoidance in games and this does you know it's there in spades excuse the pun <laughs> yeah yeah I agree I um, I know I did a bunch of gushing uh, leading up to the discussion about it but I don't think I actually mentioned why I like hearts so much um, but I, I just think it has uh, like like you and, and Ryan have both said it's trick taking in its purest form so to speak uh, and it really it's really exciting with the shooting the moon rules, which I don't know if this is the first game that's had shooting the moon, but I know that the, the term is used in hearts and, I, and that may be the origination of the term, uh, which we use fairly loosely for games where you 
want to avoid everything. Um, and in hearts, uh, shooting the moon is like I said, when you collect all 13 hearts and the queen of spades. And it's really fun to try to hide your intentions or uh, make it revealed as late as possible when people can no longer affect your ability to take the rest of because because throughout the hand everybody's trying to avoid the hearts and they're trying to avoid the queen of spades so for somebody to stop you they have to realize it and then somebody has to fall on the sword to stop it from happening and sometimes either people think somebody else is going to do it or they just don't have the right cards at the right time to do it and I think that aspect uh, is really fun. I think the hands where somebody is trying to shoot the moon are are the most fun and interesting hands of the game. Uh, I'm sure Ryan will agree. Hundred <laughs> percent. Uh, no, yeah, I think in hearts, unless I mean, again, you know, if you grow up with it, play it a bunch, know how to look at a hand, decide when you want to shoot the moon or not, then it can be a great feeling when you do it and pull it off. I think sometimes you have to be sly about it. If you just come out the gates, like playing all the aces and playing all the high cards and just taking every trick, then I think people are going to say, oh, you're trying to shoot the moon and take all the points. And someone might early make sure they grab a heart or something. So I, I think that's what's really interesting about the game too, is you can't just go right out the gate trying to get it all. You have to kind of be sly about how you take all the points. Take some early, accidentally... And then, mm -hmm. you know, start to get more and more. And then all of a sudden there's just no one can stop you and it's too late. And it just feels so good. It's like poker, right? You need to have a poker face. You need to make it seem like when you take the early hearts that you're not trying to, like if somebody plays the, if somebody plays the, the king of hearts, like, and you, you play the ace of hearts, like you might want to like maybe not play hearts next because <laughs> it'll be pretty yeah. obvious that you had something lower that you could play. Things like that can make it pretty tough. Although maybe if you don't have the, the king and the ace, you don't try to shoot the moon. I don't know. I'm not an expert at hearts by any means. But um, hearts is an interesting one because it's it doesn't have, at least compared to some of the game, the modern games that are out there, it doesn't have like that one hook that's really obvious to anybody listening to the game being described that makes it sound really exciting or interesting. And I sh actually struggle with hearts to, to explain why it's so good and to how to get somebody excited to play hearts when there are all these kind of like crazy games with these wacky rules, like, you know, trick takers, for example, or, or any of these modern games. So because I'm not so eloquent, how would you guys like, explain to somebody what makes hearts so good <laughs> well so before i fully answer the question i think one way that hearts already explains itself is the fact that when you mention trick taking to someone who's new to trick taking in general they usually like when you say have you played a trick taker before their response is typically oh you mean hearts or spades or euchre like those are always the ones that everybody knows because they're household names so even if you don't have the proper way to explain it or talk about what its hook is, you've already got them hooked because that's the one they hear about all the time. So I think it would be an easier one to get to the table if you're introducing someone to them. Just be like, oh, yeah, you know what? You're right. It is hearts. That's what we're playing right now. <laughs> so if it's if you're trying to get 
trick takers to the table with people that don't already play trick takers. Yes, for sure. People have heard of hearts. But what about all the people that got introduced to trick taking through Skull King or, you know, the myriad games that are available now? How do you how do you explain to them that hearts is still worth playing? I, I think that's where it sort of comes back to the statement we've been saying. It's it, specifically hearts. It's trick avoidance in its purest form. So if you want to see what trick avoidance looks in pure perfection with a standard deck of cards, here's what it is. Because obviously the new modern games that do trick avoidance have that, but there's always an additional twist. There's something else that makes it different. Uh, you can hide cards underneath pots with, you know, Tanuki to Chagum. You can do whatever else in these other crazy ones that try to be different. But hearts is just pure trick avoidance. You don't want the hearts or you want them all. So I think that is an interesting sell enough to just be like, here is a game that you have one goal and you do not take any of the hearts. And of course, Queen of Spades. But you are trying to make sure in all the tricks you take, if you take any, you don't take those. But you also want to make sure one player doesn't get all of them. Again, I know, I mean, that's probably not sounding elegant either. (laughs) But I still think that that is a bold enough quote-unquote twist to an original game that it stands out on its own. The fact that it's almost a lack of a twist is gives it a twist now. Yeah, it's almost uh, at the very least, it's for somebody who's already into trick takers, it's an interesting history lesson, right? It's where these games, like you said, Euchre, which actually I haven't played, by the way, (laughs) hearts spades uh, there are probably others that that i'm not mentioning that should be included but these are the foundation upon which modern trick-taking was built uh and hopefully for people that are really into the genre that's enough right don't don't you want to see where all these games came from just wanted to add for products this is a game we're talking about victorian you know a game that came out in 18 1800s mid 1800s and I, I would go with along the lines of, you know, uh, before you tried coffee and milk together, did you try coffee? Or would you put salt and pepper on your food before you've tasted the food to see if it's to your liking before you add some spice? So I think, like you guys were saying, it's always good to go back to the core roots of it. Because actually, if nothing else, it gives you a, a real deep understanding of where you know where games have come from and to where we are now and makes you appreciate that it you know that just a bit more um something else yeah um something else that i've just add as well if you think like you know if you feel like you've played a lot of hearts and you're a bit tired of it and you perhaps played it before why not look at one of the hundreds of different variants to just um take hearts and say okay well you, you know, you might have played Hearts growing up. You say that to your group, but actually, why not just try it with this little twist and see how that changes things? Um, because it might make the difference between, you know, really in, revisiting a classic and really enjoying it or just playing the classic, w- whichever you choose. I think you're going to have a, a good time. Um, and finally, we talked about shooting the moon. There is something, I don't think it's official, but it sort of wormed its way into various rule books, is um, shooting the sun, where you take every single card that goes into a trick. Um, (laughs) I'd like to know if anybody's done that. I imagine that's pretty hard to achieve. 
That sounds uh, impossible, I'd almost say. Yeah. <laughs> Worth, worthwhile challenge, though, maybe if you're digging your old box of cards out again, um, <laughs> if nothing else. I, I just I can't imagine how that would work unless you had all 13 cards of a single suit and it wasn't hearts. Because then you could just because then you could just play and nobody could follow and there's no trump suit. So that would be really the only way to do it. Well, or just having the ace, king, queen, jack and all the suits eventually short suiting other people in those suits coming back to them later. Oh, yeah, I guess there are other ways to do it. I'm just not creative enough to have thought of them. (laughs) Well, so I think this is where and I really want to talk about Slovak Lorem, but I know we have to go to over spades first. But like these compendium games are kind of like that. You have to analyze hands and figure out, can you win all the tricks? Because those are, in some games, a call you make, is that you're going to win everything. And when you have that, that's kind of where it came up. Having ace-kings, having the highest of those suits allows you to guarantee those wins. But you have to make sure that you have potentially next highest cards. You have to assume that everyone around the table isn't even suited in that. So if you play the ace, you're not going to get the 10, 9, 8, 7 to come out, you're probably going to get the 2, 3, 5. So you have to make sure you can keep winning them. So that's an interesting thing. I know that's not really what you do in Hearts unless you do this Shoot the Sun variant, but in these other traditional games that have compendium uh, style choices to make, that is something that you look at uh, when you uh, decide on your hand what you're doing for the realm. Yeah, well, I guess one of the things in, in Hearts is that you typically would be happy to not win any tricks. So... Whereas in some games, if you know somebody plays the Ace of Spades, you might want to play the two or the three and keep your king because you want to you want to save some of your higher cards to win tricks later. Uh, unless you're trying to shoot the moon or the sun, you're probably just getting rid of the highest cards in every suit, so you can try to avoid all the tricks. So that could play that could play to into somebody's favor if they are trying to shoot the moon or shoot the sun. Uh, mm-hmm. You play the Ace, and even if you don't have the the king and queen you know, somebody else, play, everybody's going to start playing those to try to get them out of their hands, especially with spades because of the queen of spades. Um, so yeah, that could be a way that, that you could kind of win without all of the highest cards of every suit, potentially. Yeah. And and I think that's, again, what makes hearts so good is the fact that just right there, that's a decent amount of strategy to think about how to look at a hand. How do you play a hand? You have to read the table and decide, is someone going to shoot the moon this round? Do I need to hold this card back to Mm -hmm. be that person who takes one for the team when we start to realize somebody's going to shoot the moon? Or do you not worry about it and hope somebody else takes care of it so you you toss out the king early? And it's just, it's simple, like, it's simple trick-taking 101 in a sense, but it's such a good way to learn that and figure that out in, in such a simple but really good game. Yeah, it's a it's a classic. Um, I think we we can all agree, classic. Not a mediocre game. I think you you, you must describe it as a classic. Um, if if you look if you you know look at some of these older games. Yeah, and I think uh, one thing that we didn't mention, which is is pretty important, is that you pass cards in this game as well. So uh, it changes who you pass to. So you're not you in the first round. You you'll pass clockwise or counterclockwise. I, I don't know if there's a a specific convention. Uh, the next round, you will pass the opposite direction, and then the next round, you will pass across. And it is um, three. And the cards. next round, you don't pass anything. Right. Is it but three yes, cards? It's three cards. 
Yeah. So it's counterclockwise, clockwise, across, and then don't pass three cards. Uh, and then the, the player who leads the first trick is the person who has the two of clubs at the end of the passing. And I think this is a standard rule, not a variant, um, but typically uh, the game is played where scoring cards can't be played in the first trick. Uh, hearts can't be broken. Well, hearts yeah, can't be correct. broken. That's that's definitely standard, but yeah. also queen of spades can't be played as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there can't be any hearts or queen of spades in the first trick. But I think that's probably enough about hearts. Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> so, <laughs> so spades, right? cover. Where do broken hearts go? So where hearts is the grandfather of trick avoidance, uh, spades is the grandfather of bidding, also partnership game. So for those that haven't played spades, the way that the spades works is it's also a must follow. Uh, there is a trump suit. It's always spades. Spades cannot be led until it's been broken and you can't, the way you break spades is if you cannot follow, you may play spades. You will be playing, uh, this is a four player game. You will have a partner sitting across from you and you will, there's no passing. You'll be sitting across from your partner and the start player will rotate each hand and each hand in order, uh, in clockwise order, you will bid the number of tricks that you think you will take. That will go all the way around the table. Everybody will do it. Once you're done bidding, it's the total bid by the team that's important with an exception that I'll get to in a second. So if Pat is my partner and I bid two and he bids one, it doesn't matter which Pat could get two and I could get one and we've still hit our bid of three total. The one exception is that if a player bids nil, that bid is that player's own bid. Achieving your nil bid nets you a bonus 100 points. When you have hit your bid, if you win any additional tricks, those are recorded as bags, and bags are bad. Those carry over from round to round. So in a round, if uh, my partner and I combined bid five, but we won seven tricks, we would end up collecting two bags. And that would you'd keep that from round to round. And as you collect bags, if you ever hit 10 total bags, you roll back around to one. So you, you if you have nine and you get two bags, you'll have one bag and the 10 bags that you just wiped are worth a negative 100 points. So it's really bad to consistently over or underbid. The way scoring works is that if you hit your bid, you get 10 points for every trick that you've won. And when you exceed your bid, you will get an additional one point for each bid that you've, or for each trick that you've won over your bid. Uh, but those will also become bags uh, like I said, that you don't want to win. If you don't hit your bid, you get negative 10 times your bid. So it doesn't matter by how much you've missed your bid under. If you bid five and you get one, two, three, or four, you will get negative 50 points. And uh, like heart spades can be played to different point values, but I think the standard is 500. 500. Uh and yeah, so not as simple of a game as Hearts. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, I explained that well enough for people who haven't played Spades to follow. Uh, if not, maybe go 
check out the rules before listening to the rest so you can have some context for the conversation to follow. <laughs> yeah. So I think right out the gate, what I'll say is I think if we're comparing hearts and spades together, spades is a little bit more difficult of an intro to trick taking, early to trick taking, et cetera, kind of game because it asks players to bid the number of tricks they're going to take. Bidding is a lot harder to decide what the number is if you aren't familiar with trick taking. Sure, you always know spades or trump, but you might have only three spades in your hand and it'll be the two, the five, and the seven. And you're like, well, these are really low. There's no way I'm going to win with them. But the way the hand can play out, it's very possible you might just end up trumping in on them at the wrong time and, and winning a trick you didn't expect to. Or again, you have like ace, king, queen in diamonds and you're like oh i'm gonna get all three of these because they're the highest of the suit well if another player doesn't have diamonds they can just play a low spade and win a trick that you thought you were going to win so it requires you to know and understand how to read a hand a little bit better uh so with that out of the way though i think spades is fantastic again it's it's a very pure form of bidding in a trick taker you know one suit is trump you can decide from there and again you have the backfall of your partner which i think is interesting uh, a lot of bidding games don't really have that either so knowing that uh whatever i bid and my partner bids we can sort of work together to just make sure we still get it in total so like i said earlier i might not win that ace queen king uh, with the diamonds but it might be because my partner's trumping in and winning the trick instead so you have that which is which is interesting yeah, I, I love that. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's one of my favorite aspects is uh, that you can kind of uh, make up slack for each other when when you've realized that you've misbid, unless you've both misbid terribly, uh, in which case you're probably going to pick up a bunch of bags. Um, <laughs> so uh, that that was one of my favorites. And, and I think you're, you're spot on with it being a more difficult game to learn, uh, not rules-wise, but just to play well it's definitely harder to evaluate your hand. I started off in our game with uh, overbidding. I thought the hands that looked strong were were stronger than they were, and you know we we ended up amassing a fair amount of negative points because ten times your bid value. If you miss your bid and you're bidding high, I mean that's really bad. Obviously, um, even if you're not good at math, I think that's obvious, <laughs> and. Then I kind of swung the other way where I was underbidding, which wasn't quite so bad, but do that enough times, you get 10 bags and that's another negative 100 points. So it, it took me a little while to kind of calibrate. Uh, and I say a while, I, I, was, I was starting to get better at bidding by the end of one game to 500. Uh, so it's not, it's not awful to learn uh, how to bid well and evaluate your hand, but it definitely... You know, you got to play through a few hands and experience under and over bidding before you can can learn to evaluate. And I imagine that there's uh, that there are probably some conventions around bidding. I don't know if there's anything like that where, uh, you know, if your partner bids a certain number that you typically know not to bid over a certain amount or anything like that. But, you know, this is coming from somebody who had never played spades, didn't know anything about any sort of strategies, conventions, um, and definitely, definitely found it difficult to hit my bid on the first several hands. 
Yeah, so I've played Spades. Uh, I do like it a lot for what it is. Um, it was one of these games uh, as somebody who was already in the rabbit hole with uh, trick-taking in general, modern trick-taking, I sort of gravitated a little bit back and sort of thought, well, what's this about? You know, I've heard of Spades. What actually is it? As John has explained very well. Um, and it did go down a treat. Uh, didn't take me long to learn it, uh, you know, albeit I'm already familiar with, with the, the genre. But I do think for new people to trick-taking, like you guys have already pointed out, the rules are fine. Um, it's just when you get your hand of cards, it's not immediately obvious. I don't think there is a particular hand with spades that screams for you to bid a certain amount um, because a lot of it's psychological. As Johnny mentioned, you know, partnership conventions, you play a game with a particular person and you. I think you need to play a few rounds till you get into a bit of a, a vibe um, with how they like to bid or what kind of, you know, how cautious or adventurous they are with the, with the type of um, bids that they're, they're going for. But I really love the fact that you can kind of fall back on your partner a little bit, blame them if things go terribly for you, and be a bit daring and go for the uh, zero bids as well. That's quite exciting. And that kind of evokes um, uh, a little bit of the shoot the moon feeling that I, that I tend to get from hearts with that, you know, that risk, risk taking element in the game as well. Um, yes, there are some variations on spades. But I think at its core essence, with the with, with the rules as they are, um, it, it is a great time, certainly worth checking out. And obviously, anyone who likes the idea of having a teammate and occasionally dropping them in it, um, I, th I think you'll have a good time with it. It's just um, there's a lot of analytical puzzle in there that, you know, as you guys rightly pointed out, um, it's not always clear which direction to go in. Um, but again, isn't that half the fun? Um, anyway, uh, yes, the, you know, the, there's a perfect amount of cards, um, but, you know, spades isn't the type of game, I think, where you're going to be sitting there card counting. I think you just, you know, you're, you're just enjoying it and it's taking you for a bit of a ride as you try and figure out the, uh, the hands that you've got. Yeah. And I should say that uh, there are a lot of variants to spades. I actually think we may have played, I don't know how many of the rules we played with were variants, but I, I actually... Uh, I'm looking through some of the variants and apparently not being able to lead with spades until broken is a variant. So I can't recall if we played with that or if we allowed spades to be led at any point. Uh, there are also variants that just not don't allow you to lead with spades on the first trick. Um, there's a, a variant where you can call blind nil, where you can't don't look at your cards and call nil. Uh, and that's worth double uh, the Risky. points that that regular yeah. nil is worth. Um, I don't know if I even, if I even said what you get when when you get blind nil or when you bid nil, I, I don't know if I said that, but it's a hundred points if you get it or, or negative a hundred if you lose. Uh, so blind nil would double that. Um, you know, there are variants where you don't total the tricks between the two partners, which doesn't sound great to me because that's one of my favorite aspects of the game. Uh, but I, I guess I just wanted to, to, to mention that there are a lot of variants and the way I describe the rules may or may not match the way that, that many of you have played it. Um, I and, go ahead. No, say just to add on to that, I think that's a part of these traditional games as well. Everything you can play the standard deck of cards tend to have a lot of variants, and that might just be you know because of how old these games are. 
the different places that people play them in, the different regions of the world. You'll just right. get different house rules that all of a sudden telephone game gets passed along and passed along and passed along and generation to generation that just becomes sort of standard in the game. And that's really cool to see. I think the fact that these games have been around for as long as they have to have that many variations. And this kind of goes back to your answer before of how do you, you know, how do you hook someone into it? That's, I think, another part of it is the fact that there's so many different variations you can try the sort of replayability in what is otherwise not full of replayability in the sense of like doing new things. That's where you have the new things, the different uh, the amount of different variations that you can find in these games is cool. And I think it makes a good discussion when you meet other trick takers, whether it's online or in person. And if they've played the game before, um, I think like both you, uh, Patrick and Johnny said that you never heard of the Jack of Diamonds in, in Hearts before. And I had never either. Granted, I've only been playing in Hearts for a couple of years, but it's just cool to see different variations that people have never heard of, of a game that's been around for so long. So it's now a new way to experience a game that you might have been playing for a long time a different way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, no, no I, I had heard of the Jack of Diamonds, but I totally agree that, um, like, like we were saying, it makes you, can make you look at a new game in a, with a new breath of life and it can sort of turn something that somebody's always played in a certain way to, uh, to become more open-minded about the experience and think, okay, well, actually, there's a new way of playing this. Cool, let's check it out. Um, it might revitalize some of these classic games, which I think can only be a good thing um, for an appreciation of the modern genre. Sorry, Johnny, if you wanted to say what you were saying before. Uh, I don't remember what it was, uh, but that's okay. That just cool. means it wasn't important. Perfect. Um, I wanted yeah. to toss that thing out there twice, but I couldn't get it in. I was like, this is it. This is the time it's coming up again. So I wanted to mention it. But Yeah, no, cool. I mean, I think, uh, I think, I think I've said all I, I have to say about spades. I, I went, I think the last thing that I wanted to say, which I, I may have actually said at the top of the episode, I'm not really sure, but I, I went into spades just kind of figured like, okay, I, you know, if I grew up playing heart spades must not have been that good. Otherwise my dad would have taught me spades. Right. So I just thought it was going to be an okay game, but that without the nostalgia behind it, that I wouldn't really be compelled by it. And, uh, the power of spades compelled me. It was, uh, <laughs> it, it was really, really good. Uh, I think it's, it's just as good as hearts. Uh, it's just, you know, it's just different. And, um, uh, I would play this every time somebody, somebody suggested it. It's just so good. Spades yeah. loads of fun. Yeah. Or fun in spades. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was a stretch. I know. But, uh. Well, I think we've spent a decent amount of time here on Hearts and Spades, which we can clearly tell we all enjoy. And I think plenty of people out there enjoy this game for many reasons. And and while there's so many games that we could cover, and fortunately, there's not enough time to cover them all. Uh, so we're just going to go over a couple more here and then just maybe give some honorable mentions at the end of other ones to check out. Uh, one that I've been itching to just talk about since we've mentioned hearts is Slovak Lorem. I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly, uh, but it is a full game variation uh, of Lorem itself, L-O-R-U-M. And Slovak Lorem, while it technically uses a standard deck of cards, you could take a regular 
French deck and play with it. This uses German suited cards. So it has the bells, the acorns, the leaves, and the hearts as the four suits. Um, but it uses seven, eight, nine, ten, uh, Jack, Queen, King, if you used a regular deck of cards um, to replace it. The German suited goes 7, 8, 9, 10, under, or under, ober, king, and ace. <laughs> um, best German, yeah. Yes, I am not good at German, so I'm sure I'm pronouncing that horribly. <laughs> um, but the uber and under are essentially the jack and the queen. So reason why I keep sort of bringing this up along with hearts is because the idea of the game is a trick avoidance if you play a regular game, but it is a compendium game. So it does have the chance for people to play a different type of game. You can choose to play a small game or a big game. So just going over the regular game real quick, I won't spend too much time on it since I'm actually the only one out of the three of us who have played this. <laughs> I just want to gush about it because I've been playing it so much lately. We can still ooh and ah over here. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, a regular game, if it's called, which just means everyone goes around the table one time deciding if they want to play a small or big game. Kind of like in 99 when we mentioned earlier, you can bid to or you can show to reveal your bid or show to re uh, reveal your hand. It goes around once around the table when you do that. This works the same way. And if everybody passes, the regular game is every heart uh, card that you win is worth one point. Then the Uber or the queen of the, it's the bell suit. I guess it's whatever suit you want to make it if you play with a regular deck of cards is worth four points. And then the leaf suit is worth eight points for the Ober in that suit. And you want to not get points. The goal of the game is to take zero points. So it's very similar in hearts where you're trying to avoid all of those tricks. However, you can have an unannounced big game. Well, what's a big game? A big game is when every trick, just when every trick in the entire game, uh, in the round specifically. And like shoot the sun. Sorry, yeah. like shoot, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So this is a three or four player game. In three players game, you have 10 card hand, four player game, eight card hand. So depending on the player count will be the number of tricks you're trying to win. Um, but you normally would announce that if you choose not to announce it, you can still win everything. So it's like I said earlier in hearts where you kind of have to be sly about potentially winning those tricks because you just come out the gate, throwing out the ace of hearts. Everyone's going to go, oh, you're probably trying to win everything and then hold back their higher cards to make sure they can win with it later. Because as soon as you don't win a trick, doesn't matter if you take all the card points, if somebody else wins a trick, you're not going to get that unannounced big. Um, but the way the regular scoring works is a little bit different in three and four players, but I'll just do a brief explanation of it. If there's only one loser, that person pays the points they took into the pot. Since this is a gambling betting game, which you don't have to play with real money, everybody starts with a certain amount of money decided at the beginning of the game. And let's say you took all 20 points because there's 20 points total to take. You'd put $20 or 20 poker chips, whatever you use in the pot and nobody else gets it. If there's two losers, then both those players would put it into the pot. And in a three-player game, the other person who isn't a loser gets all that money. Four-player game, it's split between the other two players. And then if there are three or four losers, all the money goes into the pot and the other player doesn't get it. 
And then that pot just carries over the next round. So the way the small and the big, I already went over big. Small is essentially lose every trick. So as soon as you win a trick, round ends, and then you pay out their points to the, your opponents. It's 10 points or 20 points, depending on the player count. So the cool thing about this game, though, is the points on the heart suit and then the overs of each suit that are worth points only matter in a regular game. In a small and a big game, those points go out the window. It's all about losing every trick or winning every trick. So it kind of goes back into the in-between, as we sort of mentioned with hearts and spades, of you have to know how to look at a hand in spades to bid properly. And in hearts, you can just kind of, oh, well, just make sure you lose all the tricks. It's a little bit easier to look at it that way. In this game, it combines the both. You can choose to just play a regular game, and then it's all about sloughing and avoiding. Or you can analyze your hand and go, oh, yes, I'm going to lose every trick or I'm going to win every trick. And I just think that's such a cool mashup of those two designs in this game. And it's a really, really good introduction to compendium games. And I keep sort of saying the compendium games, it's again those games where you can make those additional bids. Instead of just playing a regular game, you can announce something about your hand, and then you end up playing that game instead. And because this game only has two of those options, it's very low uh, overhead for rules to explain. Because there are so many other compendium games that have like 10, 15, 20 different options to pick from that can be overwhelming. Uh, so I've been playing this a lot lately uh, at three players mostly. Um, I played it once a couple days ago at four players. Uh, we did four hands of it, so it was a very short game of it. But it was still enjoyable, and I think I like three player a little bit more. Uh, so I know I'm kind of hogging the spotlight of this game since you guys haven't played it. So I'm just going to open here with a question and say, have you guys played any games similar that have that sort of uh, compendium style type game looking at your hand? Or does this game sound interesting like a game you'd want to be introduced to that style of game? <laughs> all right. All right. So Silence. <laughs> um, I actually had to look up what uh, what a compendium game meant because you've uh, you've been using it this whole episode. And I didn't know if that was a collection of games by a particular author or, or designer rather. Um, so I looked it up. So for anybody like me that doesn't know what a compendium game is, it's a ca it's a classification of games. Uh and I think Ryan did say it, but I didn't. I don't know that I really picked up that it was a, a class of games. Uh, but they're games that mix different mechanics, uh, or or that consist of a collection of like smaller games within a game. Yeah. So, so to to further go on that, then Johnny, here real quick for you, Corfier uh, Yas, which again I'm sure I'm pronouncing it correctly, I mentioned a couple episodes ago, is a really good example of a compendium game. When you choose what game you're playing, it's changing up the way tricks are played or won. So in that game, it's you highest card always wins in a round or lowest card always wins in a round. Or you do the fun one, which is known as slalom. Every trick, it changes. So first trick, you get to pick, but first trick, it might start high. Second trick, lowest card wins. Third trick, highest card wins. Back and forth, doing that through the whole thing. So those are what compendium games are. It's you can choose what quote-unquote style of game you want to play within the same game yes okay um so in my case um played a game called hot dog uh, for two players and in that game you can 
play it with standard deck of cards, but you can kind of say uh, the theme is a hot dog. So you're saying like mustard, what sauce you want, mustard ketchup, and you're saying whether the cards are um, going to be in ascending order or descending order in terms of their strengths. And then you can also choose a number card, which is going to be a, a special sort of special ranking card. Um, and you could choose a trump as well. So you're kind of the play, the choices in the hands of the players, how that round plays out or whether it's going to. And you can also even choose whether it alternates between ketchup and mustard each each trick as well, which I think is pretty cool. Um, that gives me that kind of vibe. And so does. Although I haven't played it yet, um, yet, um, and also Stickmeister uh, games where you can kind of dictate the rules of the hands um, or the rounds as game the game progresses, where the player's got some agency into deciding the type of game that they're they're going to play. If that's you know what you're you're uh, alluding to, Ryan, I would say that that that's probably the closest I've. Uh, come to seeing this type of of game it's kind mm. of like a sandbox in a way which is kind of nice so mm. you can do what you like but within the constraints of you know different possible rules um and just to it is slovak lorem i've just had a quick look on this on, on google and it says not to be confused with hungarian lorem which is a completely different game um Although I gather you you're using that same thirty two card German deck, you know the, the the acorns, the the leaves, the balls, and the hearts. Um, but yeah, this sounds really interesting. I'd like to I'd like to give it a go. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, that and, and uh, coffee jazz as well. Uh, yes, um, yes. <laughs> I have yes. Uh, I haven't played either of those. Uh, so I, I actually just looked through. Like I said, I was cheating. I looked through my my list of games and. Uh, I actually don't think I have played a compendium style game. So uh, so no, to answer your question, but I would like to. So hopefully we can do that soon. And in a future episode, I can say I've finally done it. Um, You've got Somnia. So that's yeah. That's based on... Somnia is uh, mid-year la- Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, so... I, I have it. I have not played it. <laughs> when you play well, it, we should uh, change yeah. that. That's a fantastic game. Insomnia, too. Like the, it's a small amount of changes they did from it. Your last, uh, yes, I keep saying that. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a good time. Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, I, I haven't pulled it out. I haven't even learned the rules to it. I bought it because it seemed hard-ish to get and Cloudcap had one left and I was like, I'm going to grab it. Uh, and hope that the people that have been singing its praises are right. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> um, but I've also heard that it's like uh, that it's like an intimidating one, or, or that it's a difficult one for people to grok. So it's one that I haven't really tried to bring out because I've mostly been actually introducing people to uh, not necessarily to trick taking in general, although some people I have introduced them to trick taking. But uh, some people that have played games like Hearts, some some of the kind of the intro games, and uh, that I'm not. I wasn't quite sure if it was the right one to to be their next step. So my recommendation would be to try it at three players first, because the way scoring works is a little bit easier at three player. Uh, four player can get real wonky with the having to remember where you need to place. And especially for first time play for people doing that style of game, it can be daunting. But three player 
think there's only like it's, it's been a while since I played, so I'm not 100 percent on it. But I think there's only like three different categories you could be placed into, and it's pretty much if you get too many points, if you don't get any points, or if you get like middle points or something. So it's a lot less to keep track of, and it still gives you enough of the feeling of how the game's supposed to play out. Okay, we should do it and report back because I've I've got the game as well. So we should we should have a game and uh, let let the listeners know potentially in the future how we got on. Sure. Yeah, like yeah, I said, it's been a while for me, yeah. so yeah. I'm itching yeah. to play it again. <laughs> so I think uh, the uh, like Ryan said, I, I think those are are probably the only games we're gonna get to in um in this episode in terms of standard deck games uh i think we should do a couple of honorable mentions uh the first one has been talked about i believe we've mentioned haggis is a great two-player game also apparently three and four players for those that haven't played it it is a ladder climber i think it's a great game it does a really good job at the type of ladder climbing shedding game that you're looking at it always feels fun to be able to throw out those big eight, nine, ten card melds. Uh, and it's also clever sometimes when you can get those singles, those pairs or whatever out to then slowly build up. Being able to make little bets or big bets, always enjoy that. I have lost many a games because I will big bet so often, even if I think my hand can't do it just because I want to see if I can do it. <laughs> so yeah, so next honorable mention I think here real quick to go over is Bridge. Uh, while I think between the three of us, I'm the only one who's actually played it. And I think play is not the right word. <laughs> uh, I've only experienced this game one time. And my goodness, there is so much going on with this. I tried to like it. I tried to get into it. I watched old black and white footage of like the official league or tournament or something that's on YouTube. I don't remember the name of it. I, I forgot about it. It was a while ago. But like I tried to read upon the rules. I did all these things to prepare before I played. And I played with one other person who was also teaching me the game while we played against bots. And there is just so much to remember in this game. The different bids or whatever calls you can make uh, to your partner about whatever you're trying to do. Uh, the reason why I want to mention this game, though, is because this is probably one of the best lifestyle standard deck games that you could pick. If you really want to go down the rabbit hole of this game, it can be enjoyable. I can see where the fun in this game can come from and the different play styles or strategies or guidebooks or whatever it is that you can come up with to learn this game you can play this game for hours months years whatever and probably never get bored with it just because of how much is going on with it and how fun it seems like it could be but it is certainly daunting up front and it just for me personally i didn't have the time investment to want to learn the game after that one play. And before I open it to everybody else, I do want to mention there's a game called Pymia <laughs> uh, with lots of H's at the end, which is basically Baby's Bridge. So if you want a little taste into what Bridge is like, while that game is hard to find copies of, I'd maybe seek out the rules because I think you can find them on BGG. We can put them in the show notes. Um, but that might give you a taste at what it is gonna be like at a very small scale um but yeah i don't think have you guys played bridge no and, and i don't i don't have much to say about bridge except you know you've uh kind of reinforced the reason why i haven't played bridge yet because it's 
everything that I've heard about it makes it seem like a, a very intimidating game to get into and something that you you need a group of like-minded people that want to really dive into it, uh, play it a lot, um, learn the conventions behind it. Um, I it's it's definitely not a very accessible game unless you're really willing to put in the time and effort to play it. I've heard it's amazing when you do, and I would like to try Bridge at some point, uh, but right now is not the time for me to pick up another lifestyle game. I have enough of those in my life right now. So it just hasn't been at, at the top of my list of games to play. Uh, but that that's not to say that I, that I don't believe that it's every bit as amazing as those that love it say it is. Uh, so hopefully someday I will, will try it. Yeah. I have an uncle who goes to, or did go to a bridge club, a dedicated club and every sort of Friday night, his, uh, the female neighbor next door would take him off, uh, much to my auntie's dismay, take him to the bridge club and say, oh, you know, you're my bridge partner tonight. I need you there. Um, and it's one of those games where you've got to, like you guys were saying, it's a li- for me, it's a lifestyle game. Um, you know, you really need to get into the nooks and crannies of it, get the repeat plays in. Um, and part of the intimidation, I think, comes from the fact that you've, you, you're going to be playing with a partner who, um you're accountable to and some of these people take the game really seriously and you know it's uh you don't want to be that person who's come along for the first time and you're you know dropping them in at the deep end so you probably do need to get coached by someone who's experienced in bridge or go to a beginner's evening before you sort of let let the reins loose it's not that kind of light-hearted game you can just casually pick up and play uh youtube videos are pretty intimidating and i've yet to find one that uh you know i want to sit through uh for the duration of i'm trying to find those videos in black and white so i could like say we could post it but i can't they were funny they're kind of outdated and a little sexist but you know they were still pretty interesting there is a join us for bridge with shaw taylor that's a two hour 56 minute video that's i've heard is supposed to be good but (laughs) anyways and that's enough about the bridge part um and one other honorable mention I wanted to talk about here, because I feel like I can't go an episode with using standard deck of cards, which this might be cheating a little bit, but I'm talking about Doppelkoff. While technically you would need two decks of cards to play this game, it is still uses standard deck of cards to be able to play. And this is a four-player uh variable team game that can also be solo game so this is one that also has it's not really technically a compendium game but it is this along the same lines uh where you can make calls to change the style of game that's going to be played uh typically the queen of clubs in a suit is known as the ray so if you are dealt the queen of clubs the other person at the table who has the other queen of clubs is on your team but you don't know who has that because it was secretly dealt to them at the beginning when you deal out cards. So throughout the round and throughout card play, you're trying to infer who you think your teammate is. There are ways that you can discover this early because you can actually announce things in the game that will make the game worth more points and also announce the card. And of course, just simply playing that card because you can play it at any time, you know, barring the must follow rules that the game has. And again, I'm not trying to go too much into the rules, um, but this is one of the more 
traditional uh, standard deck card games that got me into the compendium style and non-US uh, traditional games, and I love it. I yeah. played a lot against actual people, and then I downloaded the app and played over 400 hands of it. Like I got obsessed with it at one point. It is just a very fun game. I recommend checking that one out. Uh, the variations, as we've been sort of talking about, this one has very fun and fantastic variations. Uh, my personal favorite is the half a chicken, which does nothing except for announcing that you have half a chicken. Whenever you're dealt both 10 of diamonds, you announce you have half a chicken. And you do this because true gentlemen or true ladies will do this. That is what the official rules for the variant are. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> there are actual other variants that do things that are good, like the no nines, the second 10 of hearts wins, um, the different types of contracts that come in the game you can change up uh, instead of just doing the regular marriage. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a great time. Yeah, I, I had only heard of it recently, like the last few months, and discovered that there was a new uh, a new version, Doppelkopf uh, 2.0, and uh, Doublehead Kids. And they are uh, basically, they're, they're Doppelkopf decks that are designed to help teach the game or learn the game. Um, they have additional information that aren't obviously on your standard playing cards. And Unfortunately, I've reached out to the company that did the Kickstarter multiple times, haven't heard back, have pinged the, the PGC Discord to see if anybody kickstarted extra copies, but I'm looking for both and haven't found them, so I don't know how accessible this, uh, this version is that's supposed to make the game easier because I've heard it's actually fairly complicated to learn. Um, so hopefully that will... It hasn't uh, fulfilled yet, as far as I know. So hopefully once it does, it will become more available to people that didn't get in on the Kickstarter, is my hope. There was actually an update today from them uh, saying that they received copies in the warehouse. Because I, I did back it, so of course I'm getting the Kickstarter updates for it. Nice. And I know like many people on Kickstarters having a lot of issues with supply demand print run issues shipping costs etc so they've been delayed a while not that i can really answer as to how why they've been unresponsive to emails and things like that but now that they have the games in their possession and getting ready to ship them out i think hopefully you might have a better chance at getting some more information about additional copies etc because uh, i would agree this game obviously like i said i've played so many hands of it now so to me like i understand the card flow and the un and the different layouts of them but i do remember how at first it was very daunting uh the biggest thing is that this is one of those games where the card ranks change it's an ace 10 game so the 10 is actually ranked above the king so that can be right off the gate confusing for some people uh so that's one thing to keep in mind uh, the nice thing, though, is even if you can't get a hold of a Doppelkopf 2.0 deck, um, because, again, we're talking about standard deck games and how you should be able to find a regular deck of cards for, you know, $5, maybe 6 at your local gas station or CVS or whatever, uh, Sharpie on them. That's what I did, actually, while I'm still waiting for my Doppelkopf 2.0. I Sharpied all the important information you need on a bicycle deck of cards. 
and it works perfectly. And I've, of course, printed out a little player aid to go along with it of all the different things that you can call and whatnot. And it does exactly what the 2.0 does. It's obviously not as pretty because I have chicken scratch for handwriting. So <laughs> I'm very excited for the 2.0. But if you can't get it, there's still ways around to making it work. And after people, if you can, if this is sort of a lifestyle game, kind of like Bridge, you play it enough with the same people, you eventually won't need that additional aid. You'll understand what the cards are and what they do. And you can just play with any deck, no problem. Right, you graduate from uh, from the training deck, and then you pass that on to somebody else to learn how to play the game. Exactly. Yeah. That way, you can uh, spread the good word of Doppelkopf. So I'm, I am I'm very I'm excited for that one. Uh, I haven't gotten around to marking up any of my decks to play it, although I have actually uh, seen that recommendation as well uh, before. So maybe I will do that at some point. But I also hope that I can find the uh, the training decks. No, I was just going to say, I've looked at it with interest historically, and it's always been a game that I'm like, oh, I'm a bit intimidate, intimidated, sorry, by the rules or whatever. So I guess any way you could make that, you know, easier to teach or easier to play um, would, would be great. And, you know, I'd, I'd, the, the Kickstarter production looked great as a great way to get into it. Obviously, I can't speak to the quality of the, the product. Yeah, and, and just to to kind of expand upon why i want that over uh sharpening it is i particularly have trouble with a, a lot of the people that i game with if you uh i've kind of gotten past the point of really being enamored by really pretty things you know uh these upgraded components and stuff with some exceptions i still like that stuff um but i feel like i judge a book by its cover a little bit less than i used to and uh, the group that I've recently been playing games with uh, are, are still very much in a phase that I was in probably a couple years ago where uh, they buy all the new hotnesses and, and they're just really drawn in to the really pretty games and fancy components, these deluxe editions of everything. And uh, I can't imagine uh, getting much interest if I pulled out a, uh, you know, two decks of cards with Sharpie all over them. I'm just not sure that it would actually, that anybody would say, yeah, let's play. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I'm sure a lot of people here, uh, you know, you you guys probably, and and anybody listening at this point, uh, can probably, uh, can probably identify with that in their game groups as well. I mean, this is not, I'm not saying anything negative about the people I game with. I think that's a really common thing. uh, And I think that makes these really, these nice printings with all the information printed on it uh more of a uh have more of a chance of getting to the table yeah i've I've got some games that um they're not trick-taking games but some of them some of them are but you know you read all these great reviews and people gush about them you think wow this game's gonna land incredibly well and the person at the table says "Mm, i don't really like the artwork and you know straight away you've got that barrier to climb the barrier of the art's not that great in their opinion so now you've got to try and sell them on the mechanics and that, you know, and they just sort of, they're on the phone or whatever, they're lost interest because immediately they've, they've judged the book by the cover. So that's, um, you know, that is a rabbit hole of an issue, but I, I, I think, yes, I would agree. Yep. Well, so I just want to rapid fire, just pretty much at this point, naming some games that just for you to search on your own time, if you think, because again, there's so many to go over, but these are some other top tier ones that I think just need to get talked about for that second. Um, Zhang Fen, 
Clabberjass, Cribbage, uh, Dow Dizhu, which is Fight the Landlord. Yes, that's good. Uh, Slam, Rook, uh, Shofkoff, Cucumber, Whist. Vera, Wist, uh, Cowbell Vera. So yeah, just if you get a chance to also check those out, those are some really good ones as well. Not sure if you guys had any rapid fire. No, I just inserted mine into your rapid fire just for uh, good measure. Per- perfect. <laughs> uh, uh, we used to play. Sh- sorry, I was going to say we used to play strip jack naked when I was, but but uh, perhaps that's a, another name for a game <laughs> which is more familiar to me in name. Uh, that was one I used to play with my granddad when I was a kid. Um, but uh, Phil, that's that's just a bonus mention if you want to to look it up. Not too much skill in that one. Yeah, mm. I think uh, I don't think I have anything that hasn't been mentioned. So I think that I think we've given people uh, plenty of things to do with their standard decks that haven't been seeing much love lately. Hopefully, that was our goal, anyways. Yeah, and I think I I am I just want to plug in now. Well, what if you don't actually have a standard deck of cards? What if you realize you thought you had one, you checked that drawer, you checked that cabinet and you couldn't find where it was. Maybe it's lost behind your couch forever, wherever it might be. Um, There is a website called Art of Play. Uh, There's, of course, many different places you can get decks of cards from, but I recently got the Eames Hang It All deck. And the one thing that it does a little bit different than a standard deck of cards is normally you have the Jack, Queen, King. This deck does 11, 12, 13. So this can actually be helpful for some people who might be trying to use that deck of card as a proxy for other games that don't use face cards, that actually just use number cards for that. So that's a cool little thing. Uh, Of course, Art of Play itself has a lot of different decks that have Jack, Queen, Kings, so if you're looking for that as well. There's the new Faded Spades that I know have been a lot of people talking about that. The... Uh, they have bridge and poker size. I know we didn't really talk about size of cards, but poker is your standard one. So, but if people want bridge, which is a little bit smaller, uh, faded spades good for that. It also changes the colors of the four suits instead of just being black and red between them. There's black, red, blue, and green. Uh, so there's lots of different places you can check them out. One thing you should know about faded spade is if you're looking to play any of these games that require two decks, they come in packs of two with different backs. So you would need, and I did this, but you would need to buy two sets, uh, swap the decks uh, with the card back, card backs match, and then hopefully find a friend who wants the other set if you're not looking for, for four decks of cards. Um, but otherwise, they seem to be really, really good quality. They're, they're plastic cards. Uh, they're, they're fairly thin with a, a texture on them that makes them uh, easy to shuffle without sliding and slipping all over the place. Uh, I had a, an Italian edition teach you that was uh, didn't have quite enough texture. It was a similar type of uh, material, similar type of plastic, and that thing just exploded when I went to go shuffle it because <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't enough friction. Uh, but these cards don't seem to have that problem, so highly recommend for sure. Yeah. We get so you got a lot of bicycle decks here um, in the UK, and they're they've always been good. Um, and one final thing for us, I'll add to the, the you know we talked about the card games. Um, here is if you're feeling really adventurous, um, albeit you can just download an app on your phone, we've always had a good time with Cribbage as well, which is another really old classic uh, mm-hmm. game of yeah, it's played with cards. I, I threw that in my quick. It was in the rapid fire. It was, yeah. I have also played Cribbage and, and enjoy it it's quite great. a bit. Yeah. Um, it yeah, does that's require actually like what I grew up with, but yeah. 
Sorry, it does require a, a board though and pegs, so it's not. Yes, not... but you can play with a mobile phone. I believe there are cribbage oh, okay. um, apps where you can just get the board and then you sort of on your phone. And you know, if you didn't want to invest uh, without having you know played it and enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just mentioned that in in that it's not just a deck no, of cards. Yes. Um, um, yeah. So, yeah, so one other thing I want to throw in there. We haven't talked about these really at all in the episode, but tarot games, that's a whole another rabbit hole we could go down. Yes. Uh, games that are played with what is technically a standard deck of cards if you have the tarot cards. Those are easy to find. Um, there was a Kickstarter, I believe, last year that did regular poker size standard playing card tarot deck. Been very hard to find, get a hold of the guy to try and get copies. So I mention this now because currently on Kickstarter, there's 15 days left as of the recording. By the time you hear this, there'll probably be about eight days uh, or so left on it. Um, but it's the Genoese Tarot deck. And uh, it's fully funded already. And it's bridge size tarot cards, regular deck of cards, what is what it's looking like. And looks super beautiful. So we'll put a link for it in the description for you to check out. Yeah, I think those look, those look really cool. I'm probably going to end up backing it. I haven't pulled the trigger quite yet because I'm uh, hoping that I can get a copy of uh, Sai Bebu's tarot deck from Japan. I don't know how available that's going to be in the U.S., uh, so I'm not... Uh, I, I still recommend people go and grab this on Kickstarter because it is available in the U.S., but uh, that's that's the one I'm hoping to pick up at some point. So... I think uh, for me, the impetus behind getting a tarot deck is the um, um, Le, uh, Le Plateau. Uh, yes, yeah, looks looks really mind. interesting, and and that one requires a a tarot deck. So uh, that's kind of the the game that's making me want a tarot deck for now. But I'm sure there are lots of other games that that I'll find I want to play once I have one. Hmm. So, uh, but yeah, we'll put a link to that uh, in the show notes for sure. And uh, the last thing uh, before we we wrap up this episode is we did launch a Patreon page. So obviously we're super passionate about trick takers, if you can't tell. <laughs> so we're we're gonna make this show no matter what. Just want to preface it this uh, this with that. Uh, we are. Uh, beyond touched by all of the feedback we've gotten, the fact that people are listening to this at all kind of blows us away. Uh, So thank you for that. If you would like to support the show financially, you can go to patreon.com slash trick talkers and anything that you would like to contribute is much appreciated. So, uh, and if that's, you know, if that's not something you're in a position to do, uh, we appreciate any support we get from you, whether it's just giving us some feedback, shooting us an email, uh, giving us a a thumbs up or a, a rating on Apple Podcasts, whatever it may be, uh, we appreciate every bit of support we get from from all of you in any form. Just just wanted to say that we did have some listener questions which we're going to carry over. Uh, we're going to pull some more questions for our next episode. I know that um, uh, Steve had written in um, to us, and um, sadly that's all we've got time for today. Uh, but don't worry, we'll be uh, hopefully your question and some others in our next uh, episode. Yeah. So. Uh... Thanks. You've been listening to Trick Talkers. If you have any questions, comments, recommendations, we can be reached on Twitter at Trick Talkers or by email at tricktalkers at 
gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Good night, everyone. Thanks for listening. Nothing, Ryan? Nope. I was trying to think <laughs> of something funny about a deck of cards, but it doesn't come to me, so. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going in the episode. Beautiful. Deal me in, Johnny.